Something that we do every week is we stand and we hold the Bible above our heads. And I want you guys to do that because it's an important practice. All right. Some of you guys have learned not to lift it too soon. Right. You're like, Tony, get long winded. Right. Especially if you got one of these right here. But let's lift it over our heads. And I want us actually to say this scripture together. Okay. If you've hung out with me for very long, I've probably had you memorize this scripture actually. So let's read this. Ready? Is it there? Second Timothy. There you go. Can you see that? All right. Let's say this aloud. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Thank you, Lord, for your inspired word. Thank you, God, that you gave it to us to help us, to teach us, to instruct us, Lord, and for us to be prepared and to be equipped for the good work that you have called us to do in Christ Jesus. You have not left us to grope along on our own. So you have given us your inspired word. And we say with grateful hearts, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can be seated. You're going to understand why that scripture is so meaningful for our message tonight. And we will come back to it. But if you're visiting... You may not know that we've been in a series for 2018 because of our word that the, that the Lord gave us for us as a body and for our congregation is firm foundation. And so in January, we covered the idea and the, the concept of having a foundation, what our foundation is in Christ, and that we want the Lord to come in and investigate all the way down to the foundation of our soul, of our lives, what we have built our lives upon and then in February, Tony taught on salvation, We many weeks on that. In March, we talked about the sacraments, which were baptism and communion. And as a result, we had multiple weeks of baptism. Wasn't that awesome? To just learn more about baptism and then the stirring in the hearts of the people to want to be baptized, which was awesome. So the next few weeks of April, we're going to cover another topic, and it's community, the idea of community. So I get to launch that one tonight, which I'm super excited about. We're going to be in four different places of scripture, and I have them up on the board because we need to gain some ground tonight, and I want you to not have to be fumbling through. So you can mark these four places. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and Psalms 133. So mark that, get that ready, because we're going to get in the word. We want to be taught tonight. We want to, the Lord to correct and instruct us through his word, and we're going to, we're going to need it. So Many years ago, let's see, that was, uh, we just celebrated in February 11 years of being a body, of being Soma. Um, 12 years ago, Tony and I were in a big transition. We had been youth pastors for seven years at a church north, in, uh, north of Tyler in Lindell. And we had nine months of a transition of hearing from the Lord, what would you have us do? We had a lot of spoken words over us, lots of confirmations. We were seeking the Lord on what we would do next and the idea of starting something in Tyler, what is now known as Soma, was just percolating in our hearts. 
And he and I had committed during this time to really study through Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. It really became the anchor for us as individuals and as a couple, but especially as pastors, as people who knew they were called vocationally to serve in the local church. We knew that that's what we've been called to do. We love it. And we wanted to just immerse ourselves in Ephesians. And Ephesians 4 was especially important to us because it really began to describe what the local church should look like. And so we're in my kitchen, and we know we're going to start this thing. And you guys know naming things are kind of important, right? If you've even had a kid or a pet, I mean, anything. I mean, things, what you name something sticks, right? So you're like, you know, this, we better get this good their first time. And so we were trying out all kinds of things. I wish we could remember some of the names that Soma could have been. That would have been funny, right? Because you think about your kids when you name a kid, and you think about the list of names, right? And then you narrow it down, and you name them the name that you've been calling them for years, and then you think, I couldn't have possibly called them any other name, right? And so it was in Ephesians 4, actually. We're sitting in the kitchen. He's sitting at the laptop. We're looking up all kinds of names. We knew we wanted to be creative, all right, so we were looking at Greek and Hebrew, okay? We wanted to be, you know, trendy, but not too, okay? And I was, we were, we had been, like I said, really pondering through Ephesians 4, and I said, hey, what does it mean, the Greek, for one body? What does that word body mean? And he goes, ooh, let me look it up. We're just geeking out over here, and it's Soma, okay? And I was like, oh, that, that's it right there. It's going to be Soma. We told a few friends, and they're like, yeah, that's good, be good. This was before Soma Intimates. We would not have named it probably Soma before Soma. It was also before Soma, the muscle relaxer, okay, which I think is brilliant. Both of those names are brilliant for that, okay? But I want you guys to read along in Ephesians 4 because this was our hope. This is what we were going for. We let the word of God lead us and instruct us and guide us in this process, okay? And it really is this beautiful list of what the body of Christ looks like. And in my, my heading in Ephesians 4, it actually says unity in the body. That's the topic. That's the title of Ephesians 4. And he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. If you've been around very long at Soma, you hear that phrase, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. That was our goal. That's our hope as a body of Christ, to live our lives worthy of the call. Goes on to say in verse two, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, there's one soma, and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. And that's what we get to be a part of, this one right here. That's the church. That's the local expression. That's the universal expression of the body of Christ. And that's a great checklist. And I encourage you guys to go through that. Turn that into a little checklist. Number it and ask the Lord, how am I measuring up against the word here? It reminded me of Romans 12. And I want you to go ahead and turn there to Romans 12. We're going to do some verse by verse stuff. 
But like 2 Timothy 3.16 says that the word teaches us, it corrects us, and it teaches us, okay? I love that. The word doesn't just teach us what's wrong, okay? That's good. It's okay to be taught what's wrong. But it also helps us to do what is right. And that's good. That's what the Lord does. It's okay to be corrected, right? It's good to be corrected, because he wants to prepare and equip us. I have this, this uh, Psalm 119. Up. I want to read this to you as we begin to investigate, as we let the word of God search our hearts. It says, you have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. Isn't that an awesome scripture? He says, I am going to compare my life with your, com- your commands. I'm going to look at these and see how is my life measuring up to how the word of God says, as a believer, I should be living. This is something we should be doing daily right? Not just on Saturdays here at Soma. The word of God should be continually searching out and examining us. It's the searchlight. It's the spotlight of our hearts, of our minds, of our thinking, of our actions, right? If it was left left up to us, we would only go so far. The minute it got too painful, the minute it got too risky, the minute it called for change, we would stop. But the word of God, it says, is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it divides down to the bone and to the marrow. And how many of you guys know you need that in your life? I need it. I need to know how to live my life worthy of the calling that I've received in Christ Jesus, and you do too. And we need the word to search us out, to know how to live in biblical community. What does it look like to live in biblical community? What does it look like to be united in spirit, to be together in spirit? Well, Romans 12 is a great checklist for that. In fact, I almost took Romans 12 and turned every single line and put a box in front of it and handed it to you. And some of you guys were like, I would love that. You're like, I want to check things off. How many of you guys are like, I'm a checker offer. I need to know how am I measuring up? Okay, you can do that. You could make that for yourself, okay? But we invite the Spirit of God to come and to investigate our lives right now. Now, I love taking Scripture. I could break it down word for word. I could spend all night on one one verse and just break it down word for word. But we're going to do the whole chapter of Romans 12. Are you guys ready for this? And we're going to let the Word of God change us tonight and teach us about what it means to live in biblical community. Because here's the thing. We all came in with something. When you come into a relationship, when you come into friendships, you came in with your upbringing, you came in with your past, you came in with your mistakes, you came in with your failures, you came in with your habits, you came in with your survival skills. Is that not true? Anyone who's been married, you're like, oh yeah, I know what I brought in. You knew what you brought in. And it's not any different in the body of Christ. We all represent individual culminations of our experiences, what we've been through, what we dream about. 
And how many of you guys know not everything we bring in is right? Not everything we bring in is going to be healthy or helpful to the relationship. If everything we brought in was right, there wouldn't be any divorces. There wouldn't be any severed relationships, no broken friendships. But we bring in our flesh. We bring in our troubles. Do we not? And as believers, we need to be corrected sometimes. So let's let Romans 12 do that. I could start in three. That's really where the list begins. But I want us to put it in context. This is Paul who also wrote Ephesians. He's writing to the Roman church. These are Gentiles. This would have been us. This is us. These are the Gentiles and non-Jews. And he's like, these people need a book to them. The Hebrews got a book to them. The Romans got a book to them. Specific churches got books to them. And we benefit thousands of years later because it's the inspired word of God. And it has a job in our lives. We can't ignore it, okay? So he says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, that is us, that's the body of Christ, I plead with you to give your somas to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Doesn't that sound familiar? Live in your life worthy of what I've called you to do, okay? This is how you do it. He says, I'm pleading with you, live a holy sacrifice, something acceptable. This is the way to worship him. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Some of your versions may say by renewing your mind. You need to wrap your brain around that phrase tonight, that when we come in, To relationship, when we come into community, something has to be challenged, and it's the way we think. The way we think about how we relate to one another needs to be challenged. And he says, you can do this, not by conforming to the world, but but being transformed. You're going to be transformed into a new person, changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You can know God's will for your life. And it's going to be good, and it's going to be pleasing, and it's going to be perfect. But you might have to change the way you're thinking about some things. It might just need to change. And that's all right. How many of you guys are ready? You're going to accept the challenge of letting the Word of God examine us? Let's look at this as a checklist for unity. All right? Let's start in verse 3. Because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. He's a good pastor. He's warning his people. And he says, I've been given the authority and the privilege, and I want to warn you. This is checklist number one right here. Don't think you are better than you really are. We don't have to go any further. We could stop right there, wrap it up, ponder this for the next few days and weeks. If we just stopped there, have we heard enough? But he doesn't. He doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He just keeps chiseling, keeps chiseling away. He says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our somas have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's soma. So we are many parts of one soma and we all belong to each other. We are the body, right? And he says, rather than comparing yourselves to each other, 
which is we are prone to do, women especially, but I think men are guilty of it too. Rather than comparing yourselves to each other, he says, be honest in your evaluation. Measure yourselves by the faith that God has given us. And that is something that has united us in this room, is that we have been given faith. And he says, measure it up to that. Don't measure it up against in comparing yourself to others, thinking yourself more than what you really are. But let the faith of God come in and examine you and speak to you and show you who you are. He says, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. I love this because this is a case study of unity in diversity. The church is a very diverse group of people. And I love it. We have freedoms and we have these ideas and we have thoughts and choices and we have personalities and we have dreams and we have giftings and we're incredibly diverse and we're meant to be. And he's saying that could potentially be rough having that kind of diversity, but you can have unity and spirit in the midst of that diversity. We don't all have to dress the same, act the same, walk the same, speak the same to have unity. We can be diverse, we can be different, but we can still be united in spirit. Isn't that cool? This is good news, especially in an age where people find themselves polarized for color, for beliefs, or whatever. And he's saying, hey, listen, there's a lot of diversity in the church, but you can still be unified. He goes on to say here in verse 6, he said, in his grace... In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. This is where he starts getting really specific about the diversity that's in the church and how we can still be unified in the midst of that. And he says, each of you, every single one, there's not one person that's exempt. Not one of you in this room. You might have come in thinking you don't have a skill, you don't have a talent, you have nothing to contribute, you're just the scum of the earth, you'll never be this, you'll always be that. But you are not the universal exception to this verse. No one is. Okay? He says, by his grace, he's given us gifts for certain things to be done well. Remember back in 2 Timothy, he says it's to equip, right? To prepare and equip his saints for the good works that he has for them. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus, that we have good works that were prepared in advance for us to do for him. You have something unique as a part of the body that you're meant to do well, that you're meant to contribute. And it won't look like the person beside you. It's not meant to. It can look incredibly different. He says, so if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. He just takes this little cross sampling of the gifts inside the church and he says, If this is something in you, you know that that's what's stirring in you. Do it and do it well. Take it seriously. Act upon these gifts that the Lord has given you. It made me think that in this culture, and I think we have a lot of social media to thank for this, but we really are okay with and actually enjoy and celebrate failures. 
Okay, right? Pinterest fails are a thing. Isn't that true? How many of you guys have posted a Pinterest fail? Just go ahead, raise your hand. If you if you looked at something on Pinterest and you're like, yep, I definitely. And you look at all of those and you're like, you see these beautiful like handmade chocolate truffles, right? And anyone who's made truffles knows that that's a mess and they're not going to turn out like that picture. They never do. They look like balls of dump. They really do. They don't turn out pretty. Okay, you need like a team of people to help you. And we celebrate those. We're like, everything is broadcasted these days. It's like 24-7. Our successes and our failures are out there. Are they not? Some of you guys are like, no, man, I ain't ever putting my stuff out there. But even if you haven't done it, you've been watching it. If you've watched America's Funniest Home Videos, you've been watching people's fails, okay? And it's always men, okay? (laughs) They're always breaking their necks. It's never women. It's always men. And I show those to my kids. I'm like, it's always boys. Listen to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He told you no. And I feel like there's something really... um, We could celebrate in this idea of uh, that we're okay with posting our failures, and we can get behind that and laugh about it, be entertained by it, right? We're like, yeah, it's funny. We see somebody try something, they fail. We're all laughing. Some wholesome entertainment, I guess, okay? But I think that what's made it even harder, though, is all the success stories, the child prodigies and the rises to fame and the viral sensations And when I was a kid, I thought that I could literally be anything. I really did. I thought my family um, didn't do me a great favor by ever telling me that I wasn't good at something. They just made me believe that I was good at everything I did. And it wasn't until I get a little older and actually encounter real talent that I was like, they lied to me. Okay? I was like American Idol in so many areas of my life. Okay? Bad, Bad auditions. But... This generation, it's getting harder and harder for them to recognize that they're going to have something they can contribute to the world, but it doesn't have to reach celebrity status or fame status. It's really, it's a true thing. And what's happened is because successes are so broadcasted, right? We find ourselves backing away, shying away from even trying. It's not going to look that good if I try that. I could never sing like them. I could never dance like them. I could never perform like them. And so rather than even get in the game and try and to do the thing that God has called them to do, there's fear. There's fear in comparison. There's fear in this idea that they won't measure up. They could never get famous. And it's like, well, what about just doing the thing, the certain thing well that God called you to do? That's part of actually being in community is that we're doing the very thing that God called us to do, but we're not shying away from failure and we're not measuring ourselves up against someone else's success. He ties it right back into that idea of be honest in your evaluation, measuring yourselves against the faith that God has given you, who you are in him, what he's designed you uniquely to do and to do well and to celebrate that. It's a good thing to do it. And then verse nine says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. I ask myself I do quite often, I mean, am I pretending here? 
What's unique about being Christians and being in this community, being in community, being biblical community, biblical fellowship is we have something that sets us apart in that we don't have to pretend to love. The world might have to do that, but we don't have to. And you want to know why? What is the very first manifest gift of the Spirit? Love. It's the very first thing that is deposited in us. So we don't have to pretend to love. You guys, this is a beautiful revelation for some of us because we did bring things in. We did bring in the past. We did bring in hurts. We did bring in survival skills, right? Preferences. And sometimes it's hard to feel like we can love others. And he says, you don't have to pretend, really love them. In community, we can be saturated, united in the spirit and truly love. It's pretty amazing. You can truly grow to love people because of the gift of the Spirit in us. He goes on to say, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Okay, the very thought that you've come into a community of people, of believers, and you know you're just not gonna be best friends with everybody. That's okay. How many of you guys know you don't have to be BFFs with everybody? in your community. It's really okay. It's good. Thank you. (laughs) Just want to be known. All right. It's really good to know that you can go from, man, I don't even know if I like them, let alone love them, to showing genuine affection and then actually honoring them. That's what unity in the spirit produces in in the body. That you don't have to pretend to love You can let the Spirit of God impart that. You can let Him develop that in your heart. You can grow in a genuine affection for someone, and it can manifest literally in honoring them. The thought, when's the last time you had a relationship that made that that progression? Well, that's what the body of Christ is meant to look like. To go from, I don't even think I can like them, to honoring them. Thanking them, praising them, giving them honor for their contribution and for what they've done. It's pretty amazing. For those of you guys who aren't people people, okay, and you're like, I don't like anybody, okay? (laughs) This is good. This is good news. This is what unity in the spirit can look like, right? It's awesome. You guys, some of you guys should be like celebrating right now. Okay, verse 11, he kind of takes a left turn, a little hard left. He's been talking to us about how we're relating kind of our people skills and our social skills here and how we're gonna relate to each other in the body of Christ, how we're gonna work that out in the way that we serve and what we're doing. And he goes on to say in verse 11, never be lazy. Somebody needs to underline those three words, never be lazy. Parents are probably looking at their teenagers right now. They're they're tapping them. I see it, I just saw it. I I literally just saw it. Someone tap a teenager, that is awesome. Never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Work hard and serve him enthusiastically. Don't be lazy. And in the body of Christ, it's not just talking about those gifts that you've been giving, but it also represents being here and working in the house. Don't be lazy and working in the house, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Clean those toilets and be like, yes, about it, okay? Go work in that toddler classroom like it's your favorite thing of the month, 
okay? Do it with enthusiasm, all right? He's saying, this is, seriously, this is a checklist for unity in the body. This is one of the things that we are supposed to be doing as believers, that is not being lazy and working for the Lord enthusiastically. Let the word search your heart. Am I doing this? Am I being lazy in the body? Am I serving the way I need to be serving? Am I doing it with enthusiasm? Okay, somebody needs to see you serving with some enthusiasm because it's contagious, all right? He goes on in this, verse 12. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. There's a reason why he says this and then he tags it with verse 13, which we'll read. He says, rejoice in your confident hope. How many of you guys know that the word rejoice is an actual action word? Right? It's a verb. There's action. It's meant to be demonstrated. Rejoicing is demonstrated. There's a reason why God asks us to rejoice, to come together and to rejoice. And he says to rejoice in our confident hope. Here's why. Because when we show up, and this has happened, and some of you guys, it's probably happened, it could have happened tonight, you showed up having the hardest week of your life. You didn't exactly feel like praising. The weather alone, right? You got to get our coats back out. It's wrong. It's wrong. (laughs) To rejoice in a confident hope. Because here's the thing, I could have come in tonight, and there has been nights that I've come in, and I haven't felt like rejoicing, but I look at my sister or my brother who I know had a hard week. Harder than you could possibly imagine. And they're rejoicing and they're holding on to their confident hope. It makes me want to rejoice. Does it not? That's the beauty of community. And he says to do that, to rejoice in confident hope, be patient in your trouble and keep on praying. He says, he's not saying, uh, ignore your trouble, uh, act like your trouble doesn't exist. He just says, be patient in your trouble, okay? Keep praying. And there's a reason why you need to be patient in your trouble and keep praying. Our tendency is when we hit trouble is we get real inward, right? We start focusing on our own trouble. We start focusing on our issues, Do we not? This is human nature. We focus on ourselves. We can get real selfish real fast. But he says, no, listen, be patient in this and keep praying. He says, keep the the communication open between you and the Lord. This is vital for you. It's vital for you, but also look at verse 13. If we don't, guys, if we turn inward, And we are all prone to do it. And if we don't keep this communication open and we don't keep our hearts tender toward the Lord, then 13 won't happen. He says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. If we are so focused inward on our own issues, our hearts will not be tender to see the need around us. That is not unity. Unity in community is seeing the need around you. But you can't do it if you're focused in yourself. I love a quote, I read it years ago, I have, cannot remember who said it, but it, it was basically this, our needs diminish to the degree that we serve others. I'll say it again, our needs will diminish to the degree that we serve someone else. There's, it's a biblical principle. There's a divine principle in that. There's a, there's a scripture that says that we comfort with the comfort that we receive. There's another scripture that says uh, those who refresh will themselves be refreshed. This is the kingdom and the economy 
of the body of Christ. That when you serve others, your needs get met. If everybody's serving each other, we don't have to be selfish about meeting our own needs. If everyone is preferring one another, then we don't have to demand that our needs are being met. This also applies to our home life. This also applies to our marriages. This applies to our children. What we're leading by example in our home. If we're meeting each other's needs, then I don't have to sit and worry if my needs are getting met. And he says, you got to be patient in your trouble here. And you got to keep communication open here because there's always going to be needs and your eyes need to be open to meet them. The church is meant to be meeting more needs than it's meeting. I had this conversation with the kids. A lot of things that we have inadvertently given the government responsibility to fix is the church's job. And if we were not so focused here, but here, it'd be amazing the needs that could get met. I think Soma's awesome at it, actually. Props to you guys. All right, verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. I love this because this is a verse that underscores something I say all the time. A right action will change your wrong feeling. And he says to to pray for your enemies, don't curse them, bless them. He's saying, listen, they may never change. That circumstance may never change, but your heart can change. And in the end, it's not about other people changing. It's about us surrendering, us submitting, and our hearts changing. Is Is that right? We can't sit and make our terms based on if they change. That's not how relationships are built. That's not how they're sustained. That's certainly not how they grow. We can't be dependent on them. Well, when they change, I'll pray for them. When they change their behavior, when they apologize to me, then I'll, I'll pray for the Lord to bless them. No, you need your heart changed before then. You need your heart changed. And he's only saying what Jesus had said. Pray that God will bless them. It's amazing, guys. If you haven't prayed for someone who has really ticked you off before, you need to do it. It's pretty awesome. And it's sometimes through gritted teeth. God, just will you bless them? Okay? Marriage, you practice this right here. You can practice this every day in your marriage. But Lord, just bless them. Verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Can you be happy for someone else's successes? Can you celebrate when someone else has something to be happy about? Can you do it? The opposite is jealousy. Jealousy is the inability to be happy for someone else's success. And unity in the body says, I am so happy that that she is thriving there. I am so happy that she can make custom cupcakes and I have to buy store-bought. <laughs> really? Hey, ladies, we're, we're known to do that. We can measure ourselves up against somebody's homemade goods. Tell me, I don't even, I'm not even gonna have you raise your hands. I know y'all are doing it. I know y'all do it. We're like, I had to bring Chips Ahoy, but she had like cut out perfect dinosaur, like three-dimensional <laughs> with an unusual color like a perfection, and you're like, I barely got showered to get to the store. (laughs) Women, we can celebrate somebody's success, and we need to. 
and not compare ourselves to their successes. We should be like, they rocked it. You need to tell them you rocked it. And if they brought pizza, frozen pizza, you need to say, you rocked it. That's awesome. If they brought something cellophane wrapped, tell them they are rock stars. Just be happy that they got food there to begin with. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Be willing to engage someone's sorrow. That is unity. We are very scared in our culture of discomfort. We're very scared to engage when someone is in a deep place of grief and sorrow. You know why? We don't know what to say. Isn't that true? We don't know what to say. But it doesn't say, give them awesome advice, tell them that um, tomorrow the sun will shine again. It says, weep with them. Just weep with them. Can you do that? Can you cry with someone who's going through it? You don't have to. Anyone who's gone through grief will tell you, you do not have to tell them anything. You hug them, you cry with them. You say, can I bring you some chips ahoy? <laughs> right? Can I, send, can I send a pizza? Just weep with him. It's okay. Verse 16, live in harmony with each other. We're going to come back to the word harmony in just a minute. But I love that word. It says, live in, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. This makes me laugh because I was like, well, that's Soma. We're probably okay with that. We're all just ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. It's really hard to be in unity with someone who's not teachable, isn't it? It's really hard. You're like, it don't matter what I say. They know it all. He says, don't be that way. You don't have to know it all. Be willing to learn from each other. Be willing to say, oh, that's cool. Thank you. Not, oh, I know. Okay. He says, it's all right. You don't have to know it all. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. How many parents in the room have quoted this many, many times in your home? This is, I mean, this is majorly quoted in our house. You got three boys. Never pay back evil with more evil. That's certainly not going to promote community in the home, is it? Definitely doesn't promote community in the church. No passive aggressive, no silent treatment. Don't pay back evil for evil. He says, do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. That's a checklist there, right? Am I doing everything in such a way? Am I, am, I, am I wanting to pay back evil for evil? He says, do all that you can, verse 18, to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. So far as it depends on you, be at peace. Be at peace. Peace comes from submission. Submission to the Prince of Peace. It's really the only way. The only way you have true peace in your heart, true peace in your home and in your relationships is that you've, you're submitted. You're submitted to the Lord. That you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember, that's what the word says. He says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. We don't have to pay back. We don't have to make sure they understood how bad they hurt us. That definitely is common in the household, right? With siblings. 
There's this need, there's this desire in us. And I think it even stays as adults as we want that other person to know how bad they hurt us. And until they know it, we are really not at peace. And the Lord says, listen, back off of that. There's no paybacks here. Let me handle that. I'm righteous, you're not. Let me handle it. He says, instead, verse 20, instead, all right? So don't pay back evil for evil. Instead, he's like, don't waste your time plotting your revenge, okay? He's like, don't waste your emotional energy, your physical energy, and you know we do. We waste our thoughts. We lay in bed. We're in the shower, we're driving in the car and we're thinking and we're brewing and we're like an oversteeped tea bag. It's just bitter. He says, instead, instead, if you're gonna spend energy on this person, if you're gonna spend energy in this situation right here, like if you're just so determined that you need to stay connected to this hurt, okay? He says, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Guys, a simple act of Christian kindness can often bring a hostile person to repentance before God. A simple act, a gentle answer that can turn down the wrath, turn away the wrath. A simple act of kindness towards someone who's hostile towards you can bring a hostile person to repentance and restore fellowship between people. Have we been given the ministry of reconciliation? We have. It's something that Jesus came to do and he imparted in us through the work of the Spirit is the ministry to reconcile people. So if you want and you need to be spending the time and the energy and the thought on this person, feed them, give them something to drink. Serve them, love them, pray for them. How many of you guys are like, I'm gonna have to change the way I think in a few relationships? I'm feeling it. Holy Spirit's like, yeah. Verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. There's a phrase that gets thrown around in the youth world, act in the opposite spirit. Adults need to hear it too. Act in the opposite spirit. Act in the spirit of God, in the fruit of the spirit. Don't let the evil conquer you. This is the unity that God has called us to in the one body, in that one faith, in that one spirit. This is what he's called us to. You guys turn to Psalms 133. So I finish up. I just wanted to read this passage of scripture. I... I read it recently and I couldn't stop. I just, I let it just soak into me. Psalms 133, one says this, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Brothers, blood brothers, brothers by profession, brothers by commitment. And that's who we are. Right? I mean, some of us have actual blood siblings here. That's awesome. But we're brothers and sisters by commitment. We're brothers and sisters in the new covenant. 
And he says how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, when they live together in unity, in togetherness. Any parent, any child care worker, anyone knows how beautiful this harmony is. Because the opposite is discord. The opposite is someone playing a wrong tune of a different song. And all of us have that one sibling or that one kid that you're like, they ain't ever playing the same song we're playing ever. They're just off. They're playing an accordion when we really just wanted to keep it simple violin. But they're over there just, right? We got a few of those. Some of you guys are that. You know, I just, and he's like, it's wonderful and pleasant when you guys, your, your kids are quiet and you're like, oh, they're either in trouble or they're asleep. And you walk in and they're playing good together. And you're like, that is wonderful and pleasant, isn't it? You're like, that is, there's, there's no, there can't be two stronger words. Wonderful and pleasant to hear them in harmony with one another. He says, this is what is designed right here. It's meant to be this for us. This is the unity that we've been called to in the body of Christ. Verse two says this, for harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. The picture here is this, okay? So this is the harmony that he's talking about. And he says, it's like the anointing oil. It's not just like our little dab of oil that we put on us when we pray for healing. That's all well and good. But this is referring to when the priests were anointed. And they would take a Sam-sized vat of olive oil I should have had somebody with a beard up here in a swimming pool. It would have been an awesome demonstration. Just pouring. I want you to get that visual, okay? Visually, this huge thing of oil over his body. And the picture that it's giving you is that it didn't just stop with the head, but it's dripping off his beard, down his robe, dripping off his fingers down, and he's standing in a pool of it. It's like total saturation. There's this idea of completeness. That is what harmony looks like. That's what unity looks like. You guys, the essence of community that we're all aiming for here is to be living in unity in the spirit. And this is it. But it wasn't just this visual that it, that it uh, affects every area of the soma. That's not just, so it's giving you a visual here, a picture, but also this anointing oil was fragrant. It was a combination of these herbs and spices and oils that we could never replicate today. For all you guys, essential oil guys, you're like, I get it close in my diffuser. You're like, I got myrrh, I got frankincense. You take that idea and it's not just a visual saturation, but it begins, the fragrance and the aroma of this anointing begins to permeate the whole area. People would be like, somebody's being anointed. They know that smell. That's the smell of unity. That's the smell of community, biblical community, and what it's supposed to look like as one body, as one faith, as one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. That's what it's supposed to look like and smell like. It's supposed to engage all the senses. And that's what it's supposed to be to the world around us. He goes on to say, harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. He's saying, this is like divine blessing. And the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. I want to have you guys stand. 
Tony will be spending a few more weeks. I can't wait for you guys to hear what he brings out. And this idea of community, biblically, what does it mean to live fellowships of the, fellowship of the saints together? But we can let the searchlight of the word come in to challenge the way we think because our thoughts lead to actions and have a vulnerable place that says, Lord, how could I walk in greater community? How could I be united in the spirit with the brothers and sisters around me? And it made me think of this phrase that community begins in the heart. Think about that. It's got to begin right here. It begins in the heart. It develops in the home. I think that he gave us home life and family as practice, right? He's like, I'm giving you shots every day to work out community. It should be developed. And as, as uh, leaders in our home, this is something too that we should be asking, like going down, getting a family pile as we call it, family powwow and say, hey, let's look at Romans 12. How are we measuring up to the word of God. Let's compare our lives to the word here and let's ask the spirit to change the way we're thinking in some of these areas because when we change the way we think, we'll change the way we act. The world needs this. It begins in the heart, it develops in the home and it is strengthened in this house. It's meant to be strengthened here in the house of God so we can take this out and see Man, the world's craving this. And they're craving it and they need it. And we need to be fragrant. So it's not just for our benefit, right? None of this is just for our benefit. The Lord wants to build his church and to build his kingdom. And he wants our lives, our lives to be the tasting and the seeing that the Lord is good. And when they see a unified people who love each other, who serve each other, who pray for each other, who wouldn't want to be a part of that, right? Who wouldn't want that peace? How wonderful and pleasant it is to have harmony.